Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women. And after <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> damn it. And after beer, we won't see that well. <laughs> Mike, I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy, and we're the Drunk Guys. And this week we are this time we are reading a passage north by. And I'm really sorry in advance. For how I'm gonna fucking fuck up Anuk this Anuk Arud Pragasam. Anuk Arud Pragasam, and uh, one of the shortlisted books for the book this year, being 2021. If you're listening from the future, and who's starting with a beer? This is a book. It's kind of weird, kind of wobbly. It's kind of nebulous. Hmm. This is nebulous from Decadent Ales. This is a double India Pale Ale. This is 8.9 percent. Okay. Interesting. Who makes it? Decadent. But oh, it's nice. not like a heavy stout for once. Oh, I have had that beer. It's kind here. of a... It's it's surprisingly bitter, actually. There's a picture of a the Monopoly man fucking a hop on the front of it. Oh, yeah. I've definitely had that beer. I mean, that is pretty nebulous. You know, you, the Monopoly man yeah. cornhole in a hop. Like, what could it mean? Um, it's Yeah, surprisingly bitter. I don't know if I've ever had a decadent one that wasn't like some fucking pastry stout thing. We've had um, some IPAs, like the S'mores IPA. Oh, but they're always like sweet and they're like desserts. They're all desserts. Yeah, that's that's largely a thing. I think they have like a separate brand for just like regular beers. A different imprint. Decadent. Decadent. Ooh. But yeah, it's fine. It's just, it's, it's better than I thought it would be. Much like the Sri Lankan Civil War. And much unlike this book. <laughs> Yeah, Much that, less no. better than I thought it would be. I said bitter. Oh, yeah. But uh, this I is also better than this. the Sri Lankan Civil War, which is something that I knew nothing about. Chris Chan doesn't fuck. seem that bitter about it, actually. He actually didn't give a fuck. Um, so just to re- recap, we are trying to read at least the short ones, <laughs> that are short books. We didn't have a lot of notice. We're we doing our months. best. We just didn't pay attention. Yeah, we, we had plenty of notice. We just didn't give a shit until two weeks before the awards being announced. So now we're trying to do as many as we can. By we didn't have enough notice, I meant we didn't have enough notice of deciding to do this. <laughs> yeah, internal notice was minimal. We were drunk at the time. Maybe All next year time. we'll try to do the whole long li- short list. Maybe. I don't want to um, do the long list. I did that, I did that That's one half year. the fucking book, half the that, year, isn't it? What's that? How long is the long list? It's like a dozen books. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, and I'm just telling you right now. And they're like, come on. And some of them are like 900 pages. Fuck that. I'm not doing those. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll do the whole short long list. That's that's what we're doing. (laughs) The short books on the long list. Oh, okay. The medium list. We'll do the long short list. Yeah. No, the short long list. No, when I tried to, when the year I tried to read everything, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll read these books. And I kept reading books and then. I read a whole bunch. Like, all right, I, I probably have, you know, read some of the read the winner possibly at this point or whatever. And then, it, like, the the short list came out, and I had read basically all the ones that didn't make it. Like, <laughs> god damn it, <laughs> luck of the draw. So anyway, the Booker Award we've talked about it many times. Is, many times on these episodes you're listening to, and in other episodes that we've done, plenty of other Booker winners over the years. It is, I think, the most um, profitable book award in terms of prize is like 50,000 pounds is the prize or something like that which is much more than the Pulitzer even and much you know more than the Nebula or anything like that I mean the, the 
Nobel Prize. You win more money, but it's a, a career kind of thing. So for a single book, it's the biggest prize. And it's the biggest book award in the English-speaking world. And we're, they have a long list, and then they cut narrow down to the short list. And we're doing the short books on the short list. <laughs> and this is one of them. And uh, it's not going to fucking win. So it's, you never, you know, you never, There's no way to fucking know. There's no way to know. Um, well, but I hope it doesn't. I'd be annoyed. I'd be fucking I, you know what? I'd be I didn't dislike it as much one. as you guys did, but I would also be surprised if it did win. But also, I wouldn't be surprised because there's yes, who the fuck knows. And we're you never know what they're going to look for. It's a different panel every time. Yeah, it's not like you could predict. Like it's the same voting body. It's five random people every time, whatever the number is. But anyway, it is a book about uh, following a young man named Krish, Krishnan. Krishan. Krishan. And which in a, my head, I always ended up pronouncing as Christian because <laughs> it's almost the same thing. I know it's. Christian with an SH in the it middle. Could be, but it, was like, it could be Christian. It's, it, it's Christian. Yeah. <laughs> you say it fast, it's like it's Christian. But I th- it could be pronounced that way. I knew a kid in middle school whose name was his name was Christian. There's a minor character later in the book whose name is Pahul or something like that. Pahul or something. Something, yeah, I can't remember. And and uh I was reading really fast and I just kept saying Paul, and then I realized it was a woman. And I was fucking confused as fuck. So um <laughs> I'll try to say their names right to be respectful to the author and all that crap, but this book no. It's hard. This is not a book that I wish I was prepared for what it was. Like if I knew I should know some shit about Sri Lanka that will help. Oh Puhal oh I remember Puhal is a is a real person. Who's a real person? The 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 documentary he talks about, we'll get to this at the we'll get to that point. The documentary he's talking about watching with Andrum, that's oh, a real documentary. I fucking watched it today. Oh shit. Yeah, really. It's it's, it's like a fifteen minute like excerpt on on PBS, and it, it's 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 weird knowing what it's about. But we'll get to that because what it's about, what this book is about, is basically a young man, probably in his thirties or so, coming to terms with life after the Sri Lankan Civil War, which is a thing that most people didn't even know was happening. For I mean, most people 30 know thirty years, unless 30, you were in Sri Lanka, unless you're in yeah. Sri Lanka or in India, or maybe in in like England, because a lot of Sri Lankans moved there to get away, including the parents of MIA, the singer. Her oh. parents were Sri Lankan Tamils, and the group that she talks about that he talks about in this book, the Elam. Her father was one of the founding members of that Tamil militant group. Wow. And she was born in England, but she went back there and grew up there during the war. She talks about, you know, hanging out in school, dodging bullets from people, shooting into schools. It was a brutal thing. And we're going to badly sum it up by saying, basically, Sri Lanka is, uh, well, we know it's a little island off the coast of India. Not that little. It's probably pretty big. But it's divided into certain areas. And the majority of the people are called the Sinhalese. That's their ethnic group, and they are largely Buddhists. And there is a... Known for their violence. Yes, they are violent Buddhists uh, because they fought this civil war against uh, the, a smaller area in the north that is mainly populated by Tamil people. The Tamil people are largely Hindu, Hindus. Some are Christians or Catholics. There's a bunch of them. And they come from... The Tamil people are from the south of India. They have a whole state called Tamil Nadu. And I think Tamil is like one of the oldest languages and cultures 
that still exists on Earth, like concurrently, continuously, since like, it's one of the oldest written languages. These are things I know because I had a very close Tamil friend for a long time. <laughs> it's, it's stuff I didn't know much about, but uh, it helped to know a little bit because this is something that we in the West and most of the Earth didn't fucking think about. Like this war went 30 years. It started in the 80s. It was still going on in the 2000s. 2010s. Yeah, it was a it was a just a legit. It, it civil ended war. in two thousand nine. All right, just, essentially, just the Tamils were were defeated, finally defeated in two thousand nine. Yeah, they just got overrun by a massive army after fighting basically a guerrilla war for thirty years, but it was vicious. Like a hundred thousand civilians died, fifty thousand or so soldiers on either side, on both sides, died in this time, and like this was a. They grew up for an entire generation. This is all they knew. A lot of them, it's still all they know. They're still getting over it. And that's kind of what this book is about. So it's about getting over something that we didn't know was going on by people we don't understand in a place we've never been to or we're likely will ever go to or know much about. So it's hard. It's hard. You got to be in the know to get a lot of it. Not all of it, but a lot of it. But it was also written in a weird way. It was written very Stylistic. So, yes, very much. So, the main character, Chris John, he... Okay, there's not a lot of plot. Or more like, there's sort of the, like, present-day thing that's happening to him. Most of the... Which is a little bit of stuff. But most of it is him actually just remembering the past. Just literally daydreaming about things that happened to him before. Or about other things he's thinking about. While he's on this train north, that's like a big part of the book on his passage north. Oh, and I have a beer for that. Ha ha, got it first, Mike. This is... <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just drink it with you. I learned about empathy other from half that other book, so I'm going to drink triple, it with you. Triple Motuka Daydream. It is an Imperial Oat Cream India Pale Ale. 10.5% alcohol. A, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> anyway, Mike has the same beer. I got it first. This beer is amazing. It's really this goddamn is so good. good. It's really, really good. It tastes as good as winning a civil war would, I imagine. Certainly tastes better than losing one. It's holy shit. Yeah, better. It doesn't go well. It is a uh, mm. like a dense, creamy, which doesn't sound good. That's those are not nice adjectives, but it is really what it feels like. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's also sweet. Yeah. But with lots of really pungent, you know, hipster hop flavors. It's really goddamn good. Glad I got a four-pack. I, w- I only bought one. I wish I had bought more when I went to buy this. It was like 57 other beers. I couldn't get... I had like I can't buy more than one of something. There's so many other things to get. Mm-hmm. But True. this would have been worth getting more of. So, Christian, he... the Okay, the thing that happens sort of near the beginning mm-hmm. is that he gets a phone call. Well, actually, right at the beginning. He gets a phone call to say that the woman who used to take care of that that was taking care of his grandmother because his grandmother lives with him and his mother uh, his grandmother lives but she needs kind of a full-time caretaker because she's getting pretty old and her health isn't that good the woman who was staying with them has died she had gone to visit her family in the north of sri lanka and then accidentally fallen down a well but uh you also don't quite yeah, yeah, there you go. Got it in there. Now, uh, but he's also wondering, like, did she do it on purpose? Because she went there to com- com- 
commemorate, to remember, or on the anniversary of it was five years after her son dying. She actually lost two sons in the war. One was old. The older son was a soldier. He was just killed in battle. But the second son, who was still a teenager, young, young, 12, he was a very young teenager. The penultimate day of the war, he was killed. Yeah, as they said, multiple times. So on the... On the penultimate day of the war, he was killed in the shelling of the city that they were in by the um, Sri Lankan. They're Tamils, right? The so Tamils are the people the sh- that were being shelled, yes. Yes, so they're Tamils, so they're being shelled by the other army. And you don't in the find shelling. out. That's just nuts. No? What? Oh, God damn it. It's a tough one to crack. <laughs> tough one to crack, Jimmy. <laughs> so, anyway, so she, of course, she's, you know grieving still grieving for her son that was killed and you halfway through the book you actually get a much more thorough description of what really happened that day but she died she he gets a phone call that she's dead because she accidentally fell down a well in in the night when she went out to get some water and they found her anyway with her neck broken christian he is like well i guess i'm gonna have to go to the funeral but see how many times so well And so he does, and he, after a day or two, he gets on the train to North Sri Lanka and then gets to the town and then goes to the funeral, and then the end. Great. Okay, we're done. Yeah, that's that's basically the action of the book. But it's, you know, taking a train in Sri Lanka, so it's like seven years to get anywhere. And in the process, in this slow, unair-conditioned train, he just has fever dream memories of his past. And it's it's very it's almost stream of consciousness. It's, it's almost like, like you know, remind me of it. Remind me of uh, what the fuck was that fucking uh, the English Patient? Uh, yeah, I can see that. Kind of uh, weaving Just, in and hey, out of consciousness. And remember when this awesome thing happened, and you know the, about the English patient, and then he just kind of goes into a memory. Yeah, it'll it'll transition talk, from goes on for about shit all the time. He just goes on into a memory for pages and pages. And it does that mid-paragraph, yeah. except the paragraphs themselves are like pages long. I thought this would be a great uh, example to give some of these passages to like an ELA student. Like, find the run-on sentence. Because <laughs> some of them, I mean, they maybe they're technically run-on sentences, but holy shit, dude. Like, they could you could have put a, a full stop in there somewhere. I think it's, it's like supposed to you know, be kind of like letting your mind wander. It reminded me, I know this is, we, I don't think we've, we've never done this on the podcast. I don't know if you guys have ever read or heard of this book, but Mezzan, The Mezzanine by Nicholson Baker, famous, pretty nerdy book, nerd book. Nope. Oh, that is. And it's a guy coming back from his lunch break, like a businessman guy, as he rides the elevate escalator up back to his office. It's just everything he thinks of on the escalator ride for 150 pages. <laughs> and it's just. You know, like it, it, it's, it's interesting, kind of, because it's like your thoughts just kind of wander randomly. Like when he's thinking about, you know, what it's like to go sweep up dust in the apartment he had when he was 23, and then like his ex girlfriend, and like this shoelace thing. And because that's how your thoughts kind of run. Um, but man, that's fucking not interesting to read. It's like that 700 Did, page that one sentence one, book. Is that one sentence? No, there's a different one. Well, the one sentence book the, is a. Uh, Ducks Newburyport. Ducks Newburyport. Yeah, seven hundred pages or whatever. One, one sentence. sentence. I the, I've read a different one sentence book, which we could do because it's only hundred and thirty pages. Is dancing lessons <laughs> for the advanced in age? 
which isn't even a complete sentence because it doesn't end with a period. It's just an old man rambling to pretty girls on a beach in Europe. That's pretty good. Okay. And it's also the same kind of thing. Like, there's a lot of, a lot of these books in the last, you know, half century or so, I guess, at this point. Experimental stuff. Yeah. I mean, I guess part of this book, if I were to be a, a literary scholar or something, critic, would be about the memory of, of war and what it's like. And, you know, because he's a young man who grew up in this and he doesn't even, like, think about the war anymore. It's like he only thinks about the war through these other people. And it's only in these, like, because he's so distracted with, like, his other, the rest of his life and, like, trying to bang this hot girl and trying to get high a lot. This is a lot of, a lot of pot smoking. And, uh, yeah. And not, not to sound like a total narc, by the way, I just said that. <laughs> but there is an awful lot of Mary Jane, the reefer. Um, <laughs> you know, and maybe there's something to that, too. But so let's talk about some of his flashbacky things, his, his digressions. I don't remember the order of any of them. No. I mean, he talks about, he gives he us the whole possibly. backstory of his grandmother and her health, and then how the person that came to take care of her named... Ronnie? Ronnie? It's Ronnie James Dio. Um, oh, yeah. Holy diver. But Ronnie is not Ronnie James Dio. That would be odd. But interesting. Uh, Ronnie is a... Probably 50s woman that he walked by a mental hospital where apparently there is absolutely no doctor-patient confidentiality. The doctor said, hey, what's wrong with that lady? Why is she here? Like, her sons are dead. And he comes here several days a month just to, like, relax and recoup and, like, keep her shit together. He was like, thanks for telling me, doctor. Good thing there's no HIPAA laws here. And he's like, you know what would be good for that old lady? If you took her in as a domestic servant in your home. Just give her something to I do. I prescribed that. to take care of. But wasn't yeah. she actually a cousin? Like a distant cousin or relative of some kind? I don't, I don't remember that. I don't think so. Oh. I thought that was in the beginning. Like, I no, thought they he were just, related. He, he walked by a mental ward and saw her. as like, she looks interesting. Let me ask about her. Okay, you might be right. <laughs> And I take out my iPad as if I'm going to find that section, but... Just Google no cousin. Way. And you'll find the word cousin in the middle of a 17-line sentence. Good luck figuring out what they're talking about there. But it, yeah, it's, it's hard to go through this shit because everything is so... Um, like, he bounces around from his, like, childhood, kind of. Not much of his childhood, actually, but his girlfriend, pseudo-girlfriend that he was into, who was, like, a women's rights activist in Sri Lanka, which has got to be difficult. Or no, not in Sri Lanka, because they were in Bombay at that point. It's still not much easier in India. Not much easier, no. No, no, no. Definitely not. Um, Also, because she's like an LGBTQ activist as well, which is... She was bisexual. ...illegal there. So it requires a little bit of more knowledge than... Well, I, I have almost none. And I imagine most people have even less than that. To get a lot humble, of humble brag, like, there, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm at like a two, and everyone else is at like a one. Well, let's talk about that. So he 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 meets at the young people things where the educated like he goes. To, he lives in India for a while because that's like where opportunity is, I suppose, for him. And well, so his homeland is in the midst of a civil war, but it's but he's oddly unaffected by it. You know, he's just like focused on other things and doesn't. Like, he has, his dad dies, but that's like a sentence in the book is about the dad dying. 
There's very little. They talk about a little later also. But there's very little about the dad dying. There's way more about Ronnie's sons dying than there is about his own father dying. You know? Like, yeah. I mean, it's like he kind of, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a thing about like repressing stuff or. It's hard to tell. But he, um, he at one point he meets Anjum. Is that how you say it? I'm going to guess Nate, did you Anjum. do the audiobook? Nope. Oh, see, that's why you, that's why you hated it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to guess it's Anjum. So he's thinking back about when he first saw Anjum, when he was with his friend at a queerness gathering slash, you know, not even civil rights. I don't even know. It was, it was like a, a talk. It was, like, it was a talk at like a university or something adjacent to that. And he sees this chick walk in. He's like, wow, that's the most interesting person I've ever seen in my life. He could just tell. She is mostly in the boob area. Mostly in the boob area. She yes. seems really interesting. Interesting. I bet she'd be even more interesting um, naked. <laughs> he really has no. I mean, he is interesting because she kind of like, doesn't give a fuck and like is bucking a lot of social norms. She's got short hair and she wears pants. But also, she doesn't give a fuck. Like, there's they're in there at one point. She does not on a train, and she's the only woman on the train car. And instead of being all you know demure and just like hiding and you know. And staring at the ground because she doesn't want to meet the eyes of the strange man. She just doesn't care. She's like, fuck these dudes. And she smokes like a chimney. Though they all kind of do in this. They smoke a lot. Cigarettes <laughs> and pot. Yeah. That goddamn marijuana that they're smoking. <laughs> I think they're smoking hash. They, they do. You can't for, smoke uh, hash browns, Jimmy. Potato. <laughs> you, you can try. So <laughs> You can get um, high off potatoes. The Irish people are doomed. <laughs> It's called vodka. <laughs> so Christian meets Angela and, and Jum at this You're thinking it, right? thing, You're thinking and then, <laughs> well, he like he doesn't meet her. Then he just sees her, and then he spends right. like weeks, weeks trying to like find just, her again, and just like hoping to run into her at this thing. You know, just going where she might go, just so he can run into her. And finally, after a couple months, it works. He runs into her. <laughs> like that's Great basically plan. what happens. Like that that's what happens. And so yeah. he finally runs into her at some event and then he just sort of just like hangs back and like doesn't leave when other people are leaving. And it turns out she's all oh, one of the other last people to leave. So she's like, Hey, are you are you heading to the train? Oh 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 you're going the same same direction as me? Okay, well let's walk to the train together. And so they do. And they get on the train, and this is the scene where she's the only woman on the train, and there's a long passage about how men in Bombay just absolutely have no shame and will just, like, just stare at any woman and just make her feel very uncomfortable. And and she just doesn't care. And they go back to her apartment, and they're about to... And they do smoke hash yeah. and pot. And then they bang. And then they bang a lot. Yes, they spend many memories banging, but it's hard to know when because everything is a memory, and a lot of the memories are about him and her, you know, not talking for weeks while she would go off and do her stuff, and she's like a, you know, she wasn't close with her parents because her last significant relationship was with a woman, and that was not okay there, still isn't. And, you know, she's like a hardcore activist and she's always trying to like give herself to some cause. And so she will just disappear for weeks or like text him back once in a while. And then they'd get together and just fuck like rabbits for a few days and then ghost again. But in the sort of like present day part of the book, they're not together. 
Like they no. they've kind of, they've broken up, and it, and it's more or less because even and Jum Anjum is like, well, my work comes first, and I'm going to go do this, and she never even tried to pretend like it was going to be a permanent thing. And Chris John is sad. It opens with, with like he got the call about Ronnie, but after he gets the call from Ronnie, all I can think about is he just got an email from Anjum. Oh yes, uh, and he's like, "Hey, I saw this." Just you know, and he starts thinking about like just some some terse little email about nothing, and he hadn't heard from her in a while, and so he's preoccupied thinking about like all the times that they were together when he just found out like this woman that he had taken in, that his family had taken in, it was dead. And he feels like, why am I thinking about this shit? Like, I just found out Ronnie's dead. Because all he did and was... And the book is all his bone. weird thoughts. And it's like yeah. all they did. They w- yeah, they did. They would bone and smoke hash and discuss things. But she was always more... She was always more dedicated to something than he was. The only thing he was dedicated to was banging her. It's a noble cause. You know? He's willing to make that sacrifice. Speaking of making sacrifices... If you want to support the <laughs> Drunk Guys Book Club, <laughs> you can head over to patreon.com slash Drunk Guys Book Club where you could support the podcast and, and uh, get early access to episodes, vote in our monthly book poll, get shouted out, get exclusive content, get exclusive swag. Uh, if that's your sort of thing, consider heading over there. And uh, if you don't want to do that, you can support the podcast just by leaving us a, a quality, high quality review wherever you get your fine podcasts. Or uh, just go tell all your friends and family. You'll listen to our podcast. Especially your elderly family. They'll appreciate it the most. Because they have the least amount of time. That's true. Mm. Like Ronnie. Like Ronnie. So maybe we could just... I don't know. We could just like zip through like all his various trains of thought. Ah, uh, trains. When, when he's on the, when he's but, on the train, <laughs> he talks... He actually gives a lot of history of the, the Tamil Tigers and the Civil War. And, and Indian the, myths. Uh, yes, and then the whole about the and, cloud and the poems yeah. and the Buddha and the like the Buddha story, the, the, the Siddhartha story, and then you know from the uh, Buddhism and about how Siddhartha, a slight variation on how Buddha became Buddha, and then also about the leader of the Tamils and they that they and he was arrested and then tortured and then died in prison along with you know a hundred other political prisoners. Talks about that for a while. They he put talks shit about in his dick. They stabbed him in the pee hole. That guy. They put steel wire into his urethra to nuts. torture him. <laughs> they did other stuff to his nuts. Probably did. Yes. That guy really got the shaft, though. Yeah. Well, they, they were talking about how he died. Was all the Tamil prisoners were in one wing of the prison, and the other three wings of the prison were all Sinhalese, you know, murderers and like actual like prisoner prisoners. And somehow they all got out. And they cut and his so eyes they just out. Got into the other, yeah, they got into the other wing of the prison and they just murdered all of them. And they, yeah, they cut his eyes out. Well, because one of the things... Because he, he had requested... Oh, yeah. yeah, one of the things in his like will or whatever, or his statement before being... Because he was, was a, a statement at a trial. Was that he wanted to donate his organs in his eyes so that if he couldn't see it, a young, you know, blind Tamil kid could see their, you know, liberation or whatever. But nope. Didn't no, happen. no, they stepped on him, squished him. Let's talk about that, and then some of the other other like fighters. The we talked uh, the passage about the black tigers, which were basically soldiers that would go on suicide missions, but there were also like two women. 
They were the Black Tigers were a special division of the Tamil Tigers, which were suicide bombers, and a lot of them were girls, not even women, but like girls, like they were young. And the documentary that they watch in this about the two, some um, I think she, uh, I I found it in it. I was reading reviews of this book to find out what the fuck was even was he reading, and he said you can watch the video he talks about here. Like this is the one he watched. And it was uh, some German or Dutch or something uh, journalist or documentarian. She's like, I went into the Tamil areas, into the guerrilla territory, and I just said, let me talk to them. They're like, sure, here you go. Go for it. And so she meets these two young, I I don't know how old they were, but they were probably teenagers, maybe early 20s. It's hard to tell. And they're all these girls that are training and are all ready to get the call to go strap a claymore mine to their chest and blow someone up or kill them and then blow themselves up. The blow themselves up is a last resort, but they always do that. And they're all, it's done by lottery because they're all like pumped to be get who goes, who goes next. They don't want to be unfair about who gets to kill themselves. And like they're fanatics, but they're, you know, guerrilla warfare and they're fighting a very long losing battle and these girls were catholics so it does not fit our bill of uh normal suicide bomber stereotypes well the thing in the in the book they say is that every other tamil tiger or whatever the right term is knows that they could get killed at any moment but these people know exactly when they're going to die because none of them survive the mission. So there's a strange um, solace in that and knowing how you're going to die, that you have some sort of control on your fate. One of the bleak. criticisms I read of this book was the guy who wrote it, uh, Anouk, uh, Andrew Progress, um, he is a Sri Lankan, but he came here to America, he did his PhD in philosophy at Columbia. So a lot of, they say like in this book, a lot of the, not a lot, but some of the things that the people say, like, oh, they're all, their views of death are a little bit closer to the Western idea of it than where they are, where the idea of death is more closely related to like the Hindu version of it, where it's just part of life. Yeah, reincarnation, but also it's just, that's a natural part and that's it. That's it's not something like they would they don't see it the same way though they do kind of you know it's not like they're unfazed by it but it's it's hard I think I don't know when the guy came here because he's at least he's, he's a very college much a Sri Lankan for, yeah so and he got a PhD so it's got to be a, he's got to be here a while but also his bachelor's degree isn't from like somewhere else prestigious he went to like Columbia for his PhD and he yeah. went to. Stanford or something like that for his BA. So he's a, he's a smart fucking oh, fuck guy. Yeah. About his books. And his first book was also about the Sri Lanka Civil War, but it was about uh, two, like a Tamil couple refugees during the war. So that was like, th- that was the other thing was th- that book was supposedly more like dramatic, where this one was kind of meandering. But I think it was maybe supposed to be because, you know, of course, a book about being in the war is going to be more dramatic than someone coming to terms with the end of a war where everyone, you know, suffered for their whole life. It's definitely a meditative exercise, this book. It is. It's kind of it is a meditation, which is in the 
like the what what people think of as meditation here is like oh empty your mind think nothing um. yeah but what it really is is thinking about shit as it comes to you and just letting your mind experience the thoughts and letting them go so this very much is a meditation on the end of the war and what life is like and what death is like and acceptance and Christian is not necessarily very well adapted because he's been through hell as, as everyone he knows, but seems detached from it also. That's a lot of people's response to trauma. Like if you have to face it, it's for lack of a better word, traumatic, I guess. So some people just say, yeah, you know, that, that you don't think about it and you just go numb to it. So he spends his life, he, he parties with his friends and smokes drugs and drinks and gets hammered and hangs out. And he has a job that he doesn't really seem to care very much about. But it seems a lot like he's dealing with a lot of unprocessed grief. Yeah, I think that's the subtext, right? Like that's the, the smart reader is supposed to pick up on all that. So I got only a whiff of it. But there's um, <laughs> one line that stuck out to me in that. When he's thinking about, like when he realizes that old lady died, and he says, it says, he'd never really stopped to consider the fact that people could also die slowly, that dying could be a process one had to negotiate over the course of many years, as if he only has known abrupt, jarring death, and not illness, and not, you know, whatever, because he hasn't. His father died, I mean... His father died in a bomb More attack. Talking about this has helped me maybe understand the book a little bit better to like talk through it. Like it's one of those books where like it's the things they don't say that matter. You know what I mean? Like the subtext. Which I fucking I hate having to work that hard, but <laughs> and I can understand why critics would love that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an exercise in processing just the worst thing. Like we will never experience anything like this little for like a little bit, let alone his entire life. Decades. It was like the trauma of an entire people, not just like you had a rough go of it as a child. Where they are in Sri Lanka, it's they are an oppressed minority for most of their life. I'm sure no one that lives there doesn't know someone that died, if not multiple people in the war. Does anyone have another beer? Uh, no, we're just going to keep drinking these. Like we need multiple <laughs> beers. I didn't budget my beers properly this week. Oh, I mean, well, it's it's hard because there's no, they really normally do the plot points, but there are no plot points in this. It's just yeah. his thoughts. It's like thinking about his grandmother. That's what I think the, what the chunk you read about was watching his grandmother just break down. And she like got a new pacemaker and got a bypass surgery. And like just watching her die slowly as opposed to being blown up or shot or disappeared like thousands of people were. Yeah, I was looking up some statistics and it's like 50 to 100,000 people are just unaccounted for. Yeah, absolutely. It's, well, they'll never know what happened to a significant percentage of the population. And he's just trying to live his life working as a fucking whatever in an office, smoking a joint on the weekends going to New Year's with his friends. His dad got blown up 15 years ago, but whatever. Because of the dreamy nature of the book, there, is some, there are some really beautiful passages and some interesting kind of things. This is, this is a hard book to read 
if you're not like really engrossed in just this one book. Like if you kind of daydream a little bit yourself, you'll find yourself like, what, what the fuck just happened? Like it was like, I did constantly go back and read, but I did find a couple passages and I thought this one line kind of applies to the book too, I suppose. But I just thought it was interesting. Maybe it just applies to life. It says, because each moment in life bleeds into the next and whatever one considered the horizon of one's life turns out always to be yet another piece of earth. Right? Like, because it's going through this whole thing about Anjum and he had like, this is what I think is happening here and whatever and this is my plans here. And when this next thing happens, that's, when I get to that point, that's that's the goal, which is how so much of us, so many of us kind of think about life. It's kind of like Fight Club. You know, like, now I have that coffee table. <laughs> but I thought that was like a really, I was like, man, that hit me. Like, in a way, like, I feel like that's how I think about everything. And, um, you know, there are like lots of like little lines like that in the book that are really quite beautiful. Um, so I understand, like, that part of the book I liked. Um, I just didn't, you know, just didn't work hard enough to get that the first I This, this might have been the most helpful podcast episode to understand a book for me yet. <laughs> It is, it's, it's something that if you just read it for the sake of reading it, you're going to blow through it. Because it's short. And you're not going to get out a lot. Of, it is, it's not very long. But it's, it's meandering. It is Felt just long. like you can, you can jump into it for a few pages and read nothing, read a bunch of it and say, I got nothing out of that or get something out of a little chunk of it. Or you can read for two hours and get just as much nothing or just as much something out of it because it's all also disconnected. There are, chapters but they're almost meaningless but the entire plot of yeah. the chapters and then he got on a bus like that's what happened yeah but everything the other yeah. 29 minutes of reading it's just a it's just a skeleton to hold his memories in some kind of place isn't that what a brain is i guess that's not what your skull does a brain is a person interesting sentence your brain you are your brain it's just piloting a, a skeleton and meat suit well he is like a caveman <laughs> A Neanderthal. <laughs> I read about a third of this, and I was like, "I'm waiting for something to happen. This could, this is going to get good when something happens." And then I was about a third of the way in. I was like, "Oh, nothing's going to happen. This is one of those kind of books. There's just, it's really just about all the daydreams he has along the way." Fuck. Okay, let me start Bewilderment, because you know what? I bet that's going to be good. <laughs> oh, my God, this is so much better. This is like, whew, this is fun to read. Oh, fuck, now I have to go back. And then I finished it, and then I have to go back to uh, A Passage North, and I was sad about that. <laughs> <laughs> and not into it, because it's just so slow. Because nothing it's happens. Slow. Did you notice that he never once, there's no dialogue there is literally zero dialogue in the yeah. entire book. Now, at times, he says that he talked to somebody, and he says what the person said to him. He's like, oh, and then I talked to, I talked to the daughter about her mom, and she wasn't, you know, she didn't seem to think she killed herself. And he, he, he relays it in that way. He did, there isn't a conversation where, hello. There's not a single quotation mark. How are you? He said, I actually tried to just do a search for quotation marks. I'm like, oh no, it's not, that's not going to work. It's going to quotation marks inside. Anyway, so there are literally no convert, there are, there is no dialogue in the entire book, but it's also like, there's barely any plot and there's barely any conflict in terms of traditional like novel, like the character has a conflict with this. I mean, I guess there is some. But it's not like every scene is driven by 
What's his motivation? What's he trying to get here? What does he do to achieve his objective? That's not like the way the book is written. He's really just like, I'm going to, oh, shit, I guess I guess I need to go to this funeral in the north. I guess I'm going to take a train. Okay, I got there. Great. But, I mean, it's not that there isn't conflict in terms of like, oh, I really wish I could fuck that girl again. You know, I, and there's that well, kind of... he does wish that a lot. He does. But he doesn't achieve it either. So it's like, he's just kind of thinking about, wouldn't that be nice? But that just makes it... I found it quite slow. There's a, there's, a, there's a chunk at the end, like right at the end, you know, when they do the, the grand sum up. It was the grandma sum up because it was uh, Ronnie's yeah. funeral at the end. What you're talking about is like how there, you don't really, he doesn't achieve anything. There's no, there's no direct thing that he gets done. Because it says at the end here, it says, what he felt at the time was not so much desire as a kind of yearning. For though both desire and yearning were states of incompleteness, states involving a strong, sometimes overwhelming need for something outside one's life, what was called desire always had a concrete object, a notion of what was necessary to eliminate the absence one felt inside, whereas to have what was often called yearning was to feel his absence and yet not know what one sought. Huh? <laughs> Basically, he's saying, like, he feels incomplete. He feels like something's not right. But to say he desired something, like he desired banging that lady, sure. But what he felt was yearning, which in this book, I don't know if it's actually a different definition, but he doesn't know what's missing, what's wrong. He knows something's not there, something's not right, and he's trying to figure that out. He doesn't feel like things are the way they're supposed to be. Could the thing that he thinks is not right be that some of his people suffered horribly, like Ronnie lost her two sons and she went slowly out of her mind? She was just waiting for death. Versus he hung out and went to school and like his biggest concern was getting laid or going to a film premiere, whatever, screening or whatever. And that, you know, some people went, were completely, you know, very much unscathed, even though his father does, does die. I think that it's partly that, but I think that the way that he retells it, he is conspicuously does not discuss his childhood. He's he, he's barely in the story, in a sense. Yeah. I mean, it only kicks in when he gets out of Sri Lanka, when he moves to Bombay and has, like, a life that's not horrific war, because his, his dad died, and, like, everyone he knew was in a war. He doesn't mention it at all. He doesn't talk about that, because he is maybe repressing it. And that's, I think, significant that that's never brought up. He's thinking about all this, like, petty shit about, like, this girl used to bang who he loved, and she was throwing herself into every cause she could find full force, and he was just trying to get through being away. Because she was, she was not Sri Lankan. She was from India. So she, has, she did not... She was not part of this war. She did not... She, you know, had her... She has her own struggles, certainly, and it's fighting for women's rights and... LGBTQ rights in India is certainly no picnic, but he went through unmentionable things, as did most of his family and everyone he knew for his entire life until he got out. And then he like compartmentalizes it? And just him trying to come to terms with like basic shit, like the girl he liked and his grandma's getting old. That's the kind of stuff you're supposed to be concerned about as a young person. Yeah, he is. He's concerned with that. And that's the stuff he hasn't even gotten over that yet. How is he going to get over? My dad died in a guerrilla warfare attack 
And they were bombing my town with planes for my entire life. And everyone I know is dead or damaged. He's a broken man. And watching this woman's burn at the end is just like, the fuck am I doing? That's how I thought of it anyway. So I feel like this this made it on the Booker shortlist because the the civil war in Sri Lanka is a issue that people don't know about, and this makes that's the, or at least in most people in the West, right. I'm sure people in Sri Lanka know about it, and it's probably well known in India. But in terms of you know the average citizen of London or New York doesn't know much about it. I certainly didn't. And that, you might that have was heard of the Tamil tigers, but that would be the only thing. But you yeah. might have just as easily thought that was an endangered species. And so I think that th- that's why it made it on the Booker shortlist. But also it is written in a kind of unique way. I mean, I don't know how unique it is, but, you know, it's he's coming to terms with the war. And, and you know, in super long paragraphs, if that's an important thing, I guess... I mean, it is written in kind of a unique way, which is a thing that most Booker shortlisted books are. They're a little bit, they're kind of unique. It's like a well-focused stream of consciousness. Yes, definitely. Spurts of consciousness. <laughs> Just... Well, he spurted often when he was thinking of Antrim. And he spurted a lot with her, yeah. <laughs> well, he would sing that, you know, between that and the scene at the end with the funeral, he would sing that famous Doors song, Come on, baby, light my pyre. <laughs> No? <laughs> it's the cover. It's the Bollywood cover. <laughs> they do a dance music video to it. It's like know? just Jim Morrison popping out from behind a tree, just like <laughs> dancing around. <laughs> this is a great book to do in like a classroom setting or with somebody to help you. It's a book of people's book. Yeah. But even so, the booker is about selling books and if a book that the average person has no chance of understanding wins, I'd be surprised at that. You know, they're, they're challenging books, but this is hard. And that's no insult to Anuk Andhra Pragrasam or whatever. It's a challenging book. I'm not saying it makes it. I mean, I didn't enjoy reading it. That doesn't mean it's a bad book. It's just, it's, it's fucking hard. I didn't enjoy reading the first two thirds of it. I was like, this is. It's it's a it's a slog, but by the end of it, I kind of it kind of got me. I wouldn't say that I got it. No, none of us did. But no, absolutely not. But I kind of understood it a little better by the time it got to the end. I was like, I I kind of at least I think I understood what he's going for. I might be fucking wrong. There's a good chance I'm fucking wrong. No, I think there is something about like that he can't even think about or you can't even process the shit that's really important like like one of the we mentioned it very very briefly like the poems that he that he meditates on for long passages the ones about the i'm gonna fuck up every detail of this story now but it's about the, <laughs> the guy who's exiled and tells the cloud go tell my wife that i miss her oh yeah and it's like a hundred stanzas in 90 stanzas are instructing the cloud like how to find the wife and then at the end the message is like and tell her i said what's up like because he can't because <laughs> he can't communicate it and maybe that's a maybe that's part of the whole point like the guy can't even say the things that he needs to say or wants to say you know the guy being Krishan, yeah, it could be 
And I'm sure if I knew more about the other things, like they mentioned, the uh, Anja mentions the book of Buddhist poems that she's been reading. I'm sure that has fucking meaning too. That's not just random. I'm sure that matters. And the fact that like the dude has a fucking PhD in philosophy, like he's got some obscure texts down. I'm sure. Well, he might know a lot about philosophy, but I, Immanuel Kant, understand a lot of this book. And <laughs> the Buddhist poems, I mean, on the surface level, guy who didn't do the reading for high school class, I would say, but weren't the belligerents Buddhists? And then <laughs> try to avoid the rest of the class. There must be significance to that. I just don't know enough about them. And that's part of the problem. And I guess, you know, for a Western reader, I fucking don't get any of these references, you know? It's not like he mentioned, like, oh, and then she talked about Romeo and Juliet. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I fucking know what that's about because everyone talks about that here. There, There is a... That does make it difficult to understand, you know, these books that are written in English by people just from, you know, incredibly very different backgrounds. And it just makes it so much more difficult to understand it. And uh, it was just, it just where it would be helpful to have someone hold my hand through the process, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So I read the first half very carefully, and then the second half, I was like, I'm done with this, and then just skimmed it. <laughs> <laughs> but I read the first half very carefully, and even though there's probably plenty of stuff I didn't get, my experience reading it wasn't, I have no idea what is happening, fuck this. My experience was like, this is just slow. It and, is slow. And, and it's not that I didn't get it, even though I'm sure there's stuff I didn't get, it wasn't, I didn't dislike it because I didn't get it. I disliked it because it was slow. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm 100% with it. It kind of isn't difficult to read. No. It actually it's not, it's not isn't like difficult to thing. read. It's not like, it's not so, it's not that, I mean, the, the paragraphs are like pages long. The, the sentences are a page long, but it's still not difficult to follow. And when he's talking, when he's in his daydreams and he's just learned, talking about this thing, it's not. You have to kind of pay attention as in, oh, it just, it's just shifted perspective in the middle of a paragraph. Fuck. Which, you know, can be a little bit weird at times. But once you realize, oh, no, no, he's talking about something completely different now. Oh, yeah, and it's mid-sentence. Completely different time and place. Um, it's not too bad. It's kind of not, it's not really difficult to read. It's not tricky to read. It's not confusing to read. I, I disagree. I think it is difficult to read. It's difficult to know what the fuck he's talking about. It's not difficult to understand what he's talking about on a surface level because they're all very straightforward things. But it's difficult to like get why it was done this way or difficult to really understand what the fuck he's talking about beyond then I saw a hot lady and then my grandmother got old and then also I like uh, was on a train because it's... Yeah, like you could understand it's just, those it's, it's words complex. and understand... Oh, now yeah. there's a passage where he's talking about that time he saw a movie with his friends. But but that doesn't mean you understand anything about the book. Hmm. Like, I understood the words. I understood, okay, now he's talking about this, but the question of why, I have no answer to for most of it. Maybe it's that he doesn't know why either. Ooh, take that Booker mm. nominee. Books fired. <laughs> <laughs> Books fired. Not, not, I mean, not, not, uh, not the author. The character. Maybe Christian, part of meditation when you are first starting out is it takes practice. You can't just do it. It takes a lot of trying it to get to be able to focus 
and to un- to make your mind quiet enough to think about the things you want to think about or to not just obsess over a popped-in thought in your head and worry that you're doing it wrong. And that's, you know, how this is. He, his mind is just constantly digressing on shit because maybe he doesn't know what he... Part of the, the yearning thing, he doesn't know what he needs. He doesn't know what he wants to figure out. He's all fucked up. I mean, he should be. He should be. And that's... Maybe that's the point, is that how do those people, not those people, how do the the people that came out the other side of this war after 30 years of his lifetime. nonstop despair, his, his entire, entire life was this war, except the time when he wasn't there. But it was still going on. Well, maybe that's why he only, think, he only wants to remember the times he wasn't there. Yeah. And he, he doesn't, how do you process that? Especially in a place where there probably aren't a lot of facilities to do so. Like, Ronnie's in a mental ward voluntarily for a few months, for a few days a month, so she can function. Because she still has a daughter. But besides that, she's a mess. She's just hoping to die at some point. Or she doesn't care if she does. And that's probably a lot of people. A lot of mothers. A lot of, you know, not to say that men died more than women, but probably the bulk of the soldiers. And as she said about at the funeral, when he sees her son-in-law, her daughter's husband, his back is covered in scars. Because even though he maybe not have, didn't fight in the war, if the soldiers from the Sri Lanka, the Sinhalese soldiers came into town, they rounded up the dudes and beat the shit out of them. Or worse. Just in case they were soldiers. Or worse, yeah. The ones that didn't get killed were beaten mercilessly. If you're on a train, you're going to think about that hot girl you banged and you would like to again rather than the utter despair of your entire childhood and never knowing if you were going to die at any second from a fucking plane bomb or just being shelled at school. How do you deal with that? Smoke a lot of fucking weed. Yeah. (laughs) Or hash. Weed's hard to come by over there. So I've heard. Yes. I mean, I've never been there, but yes. (laughs) So who should read this book? I couldn't even begin to answer that question. If you're really into, you call it South Asian history, if you're interested yeah. in that, then this is, then you might be interested in this. It is, it's an interesting topic that you might not learn anything about in this book, but might spur you to further learn. What it did for me. I watched that weird documentary. Uh, I read a few Wikipedia articles. I'm probably not going to delve deep into it, but like, I know more now than I did a week ago where I knew nothing. And it's a huge thing. It's huge. That didn't get mentioned once here. I'm trying to think what other news could have eclipsed it, but there was 30 years, so they could have come up once. It, was the, it, would, it should have come up once. You heard Sri Lanka was a place near India. That's it. You didn't say, oh, by the way, they've been killing each other for uh, your entire existence. Our entire existence. A quarter of Nate's. <laughs> A quarter of a quarter of Nate's. Yes, a 16. <laughs> I barely noticed. <laughs> Went by so fast. <laughs> There's so many other things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I also don't know who should read this. I think, I think you're right. You, you need to kind of, you need to have a, a decent grounding in South Asian culture slash history. Or even like a passing knowledge, not even a decent. You need to know there was a war who the people involved were, and maybe just that. 
And that's more than most people knew. It's more than I knew before I read this fucking book. And that's almost nothing. Well, I guess in the meantime... Tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DrunkGuysBC. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at DrunkGuysBookClub. And if you've listened this long, why not leave us a review? Wherever you're listening, let's run up to five stars. And you can also join us on Goodreads. And Reads Goods We Do. <laughs> do we? Better than we speak. Mostly. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, and check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.